And my second thought was like, oh, that means that sunflowers require the dark to bloom. Hmm. And then it hit me and I thought, oh my goodness, I think there are some people that need the dark to bloom. And I'm one of them. I'm a night bloomer. That's where that whole concept, I'm a night bloomer came from. And I started to think, you know, I think there's a lot of us out there, night bloomers, and we need these trials and suffering and loss and life upheavals to really experience that growth and transformation to come into the, the fullness of our beings that wouldn't have happened had we never been plunged into the dark. And that led me to a whole year where I set this intention. I told all my friends, I told my family, I put sticky notes all over my house, my mirrors, and it said, I'm going to bloom in the dark this year, because it takes a year, or it did in Maryland back then, uh, from separation to divorce, is I'm gonna spend this year and I'm gonna bloom in the dark. And at the end of this, I'm gonna be a better woman than when I began. And that just filled me with so much hope. Hope that, you know, I wasn't just gonna endure this, but I was going to get something out of this. Like this was going to benefit me and it was going to benefit the world. And I remember telling my, my ex-husband before he left, I, and I told him about this text and this night blooming idea. And I looked at him and I said, and I'm going to write a book one day about this, you know. From Hope Made Strong, this is the Care Ministry Podcast, a show about equipping ministry leaders and transforming communities through care. Supporting those in your church and community not only changes individuals' lives, but it grows and strengthens the church. Uh, But we want to do that without burning out. So listen in as we learn about tools, strategies, and resources that will equip your team and strengthen hope. I'm Laura Howe, and welcome to the Care Ministry Podcast. On the show today is Dr. Michelle Pierce, a clinical psychologist, professor, and author of Night Bloomers, 12 Principles for Thriving in Adversity. And I had a ton of fun talking with Michelle because we grew up in communities only 30 minutes away from each other. And I was a child of the 80s and 90s. I had big bangs. I had safety pins on my shoes. I had a vest that I thought was the coolest. And of course, I had a scrunchie in my crimped hair. But I also had a diary, a book that I told my deep at darkest secrets to. And I complained, likely complained about my parents in. And I probably hid the key under my pillow. (laughs) I did a quick search and found out that it was in the 80s that schools began to incorporate journaling. Educators adopted this practice as it was found to help personal growth and emotional wellness. Now, a few decades later, and journaling continues to be a regular strategy that is used by therapists and counselors to assist their clients in meeting their goals. Journaling is a form of narrative therapy, which is a fancy way of saying that you're telling your story. You're taking it out of your head and your heart and putting it on paper, allowing you to look at it more subjectively. And this is a key tool that Michelle uses in her book. Michelle grew up in Southern Ontario, Canada, like I said, really close to my home, and and with a family that included a Christian mom, a dad that believed she could do anything, and two brothers and a sister that she loves dearly. Michelle is a self-identified introvert and loved school and spent a lot of time in nature, and she told me she would occasionally bring home frogs as pets to the much excitement of their family cat. 
Michelle's journey to becoming a mental health clinician has some familiar stops for many. She first considered education and working with children, but found her footing during an internship working with adults. But her passion for education remains as she is a professor in the University of Maryland. Michelle identifies that her journey was highly influenced by her two parents, her faith journey from her mom, and her belief that she can achieve high ambitions from her dad. So I credit so much of my dreaming big and accomplishments in life to him believing in me. That's awesome. And I think that's really cool because you've mentioned that um, your mom kind of brought the spiritual aspect and your dad now it was bringing this um, this hope or this um, believing in possibilities aspect. That's really cool combination. Yes. I thought about that a lot of what my parents both gave me and the interesting combination that I turned out to be and, and what a blessing it was that they both are uniquely strong in different areas. And you'll find this interesting, but I'm named after them. So my dad's name is Michael. So my first mm-hmm. name is Michelle, which is French for Michael. And my mom's name is Janet. And my middle name is Jeanette, which is French for Jeanette. Now I'm not French. <laughs> my family's not French. So I don't understand. I don't know why we got the, the French names, but I got both of them in my names. And I, it feels kind of like a God wink at like, yes, you're going to get the best of both of your parents and go and apply it in the world. That's amazing. I love it. So that must have been tricky if you went to the U.S. for grad school and you being so close to your parents, but you were so far away. How did that work out? I feel like I'm on an adventure and I'm still on the adventure. You know, they have tried over the years to to get me to come back and I, I do miss family. But it does, I don't know, it's sort of like God set me up for a mission in the world. And I, I feel like I'm doing that. So I'm okay being here. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, if you ever do come back, you know, we'll have to connect. for. We must. We yes, must. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. And so I'm curious to know how your journey went from grad school, because grad school going into a practice to becoming an author, there's a lot, there's a lot of journeying. There's a lot of life in there. So walk me through kind of what happened. Sure. So I finished up grad school uh, in Connecticut and went and did my internship at Duke in North Carolina and had some health issues and actually had to step out of internship for a while, almost a year get my life back together. It was a, a strange sort of chronic fatigue illness that the doctors didn't really know what was going on. So I got myself well, went back uh, and then did my postdoc there and then a faculty position for four years. And that, that process was so interesting because it was sort of the start of the night bloomer idea. I felt so far behind. I felt shame and having to step out, confusion about this weird illness. I'm, you know, that hyperachiever, <laughs> And the last person you would have thought would have to stop. I uh, wasn't sure I was going to end up with a PhD and then felt behind. You know, I'm a year behind now in a different internship class. And the way God worked it out is that I finished my internship and then my postdoc and got my first faculty job at the very same time that my first intern class was getting their faculty positions. Hmm. And I learned so much during that time where I was a patient and I was off and I wasn't in my education that God has used in my career that I never could have got had I never stepped out of the internship. And so it was just sort of God speaking to me and saying, like, I've got you. This is not how you thought it was going to go. 
but I have you. And there's a reason why you're going through this delayed, what you think is a delayed process is actually your preparation. Mm. And my life has felt very much like that. You know, there um, have been other issues, you know, going through the divorce. Um, I've had mold exposure. So literally for the last eight years, dealing with a different bout of chronic fatigue, not even knowing what was going on. And And so again, the opportunity to be discouraged by these things that I didn't want and didn't plan and for a long time didn't understand, but God continues to show me that nothing's ever wasted. Like I'm Mm. using all of this. I love that. And I can resonate with that so, so much. And I'm sure many listeners can as well, because for years I worked uh, frontline clinical, but feeling restless only to discover, you know, 12, 11 years into my work that, um, that I probably am not my abilities and my you know, the way I think and problem solve is probably not attuned for frontline counseling. Mm, and yeah. I thought it was such a waste. I was like, Lord, I've been mm. in this for a year. And, yeah. uh, and, but my work and my passion to help churches develop care ministries and, and connect with their community would never been able to happen without those years of frontline experience. That's right. And I'm curious if you, what are some of, what is, you know, just the thing that comes to mind that you learned as a patient that you are now able to put into um, into use with your practice? You know, I think it's probably empathy. And I have had so many clients beginning when I was, you know, much younger. I've seen clients for nearly 20 years now. And I have clients much older than me will look at me and say, you've been through something, haven't you? Because there's <laughs> no way you have this level of wisdom or empathies. I have clients say, I'm not going to ask you what you've been through. And of course, I'm not going to disclose it. But for clients to have a very real sense that, yes, I have been through something. And Mm. so the authenticity and the empathy I think I bring to my work, God gave me that. That's not something I learned in grad school. And so Mm. that has really helped. So often we fight the trials and we wonder why so often. (laughs) And we don't realize the strengths and the real resiliency that can come out of it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. And that is kind of how you developed uh, the concept of night bloomers. Can you share that story of where night bloomers came from? Yes. Yes. So in 2013 in June, um, my husband sat me down one day and said, you know, I don't love you. I haven't loved you for a long time. I'm not interested in working in the marriage. I found an apartment and I'm out. <laughs> I just felt wow. like the world was just turned upside down. It was a Sunday afternoon after we had gone to church. Uh literally 45 minutes after I prayed a prayer, there was distance in our marriage. So 45 minutes before he made that announcement, I had gotten down on my knees, which I never do. I never pray on my knees, but that day I did. And I said to God, uh, we're making a mess of this marriage. We need your help. I give you this marriage. Like literally the eat, pray, love (laughs) three sentence prayer. (laughs) 45 minutes later, he comes and finds me, sits me down and says that. And I remember thinking, God, this was not the help I just asked for. (laughs) The opposite by the sounds of it. What kind of answer to prayer is this? (laughs) So that led me on quite a, quite a journey. But a few days after that announcement, I was sitting in clinic, I was seeing clients and a text message came in from a friend and it was this picture of this vibrant pink flower. And the text message said night blooming cactus. I've cared for this cactus for years and it finally bloomed last night. I think my first thought was, what? Like there's flowers that bloom in the dark. Never heard of that. And my second thought was like, 
oh, that means that sunflowers require the dark to bloom. Hmm. And then it hit me and I thought, oh my goodness, I think there are some people that need the dark to bloom. And I'm one of them. I'm a night bloomer. That's where that whole concept, I'm a night bloomer came from. And I started to think, you know, I think there's a lot of us out there, night bloomers, and we need these trials and suffering and loss and life upheavals to really experience that growth and transformation to come into the, the fullness of our beings that wouldn't have happened had we never been plunged into the dark. And that led me to a whole year where I set this intention. I told all my friends, I told my family, I put sticky notes all over my house, my mirrors, and it said, I'm going to bloom in the dark this year, because it takes a year, it did in Maryland back then, uh, from separation to divorce, is I'm going to spend this year and I'm going to bloom in the dark. And at the end of this, I'm going to be a better woman than when I began. And that just filled me with so much hope, Mm. hope that, you know, I wasn't just going to endure this but I was going to get something out of this. Like this was going to benefit me and it was going to benefit the world. And I remember telling my, my ex-husband before he left, and I told him about this text and this night blooming idea. And I looked at him and I said, and I'm going to write a book one day about this, you know? And I know he just kind of like chuckled and, you know, whatever. And (laughs) here it is. Here it is. (laughs) Here's your signed copy. (laughs) I love it. Now, Thinking about that, that is really, really challenging for people because so often, especially as Christians and in church, we talk about having faith and being overcomers and we are more than conquerors. And we think that when we we are in the will of God or we are in our pathway or we are fulfilling, you know, God our God's gifts in us if things are going well. So how did right. this concept you I love the analogy or the picture of the night blooming cactus, but where did that come from? Because that's counterintuitive to most Christian cultures. It is counterintuitive. So when God showed me that the picture of flowers that required this, I started to think about stories in the Bible and Joseph really stood out to me. I mean, Joseph spent 13 years after God gave him his vision. He had this picture of reigning in life and overcoming and people bowing down to him. And then he spent 13 years in slavery, in prison, people betraying him, letting him down. But he needed that because he was not set up to reign and to be in that leadership position. He, he would have failed in that had God not given him those 13 years to set himself up and to prepare. And I just started to see example after example where God prepares us and he often prepares us in the dark before we're released for whatever ministry we do in the light, so to speak. That's awesome. And so one of the things that I really love about this book, and I want to get dive into how people can use this, is this book isn't just inspiration from your story. It's not just you know, developing or introducing the concept of blooming in the night and that you can too. But Mm -hmm. you offer really amazing principles that people can utilize. Mm, Thank you. Yeah. So there's 12 blooming principles. And this came from so when I went through that separation process, I actually wrote a memoir, a memoir of that separation, you know, that year long, and I tucked it away and I said to myself, you know, go back to that in a couple of years, decide if it's too personal or not, decide if that's really the message you want out. So when I went back to it in 2018 and I read it and I thought, you know what, that memoir was for me. That was the best thing I could have done 
to heal because it was like narrative therapy. I wrote my story and I edited and edited. And eventually, you know, that was my processing. But as I read it, I started to pull out these principles and realized I was using those with my clients. And so I purposely started using them with clients and telling them about this concept. And I had several that would look at me and say, please write a book. Like, please put this all down somewhere because this is really helpful. So that's what I did. I pulled out those 12 principles and described them. You know, each chapter is a principle in the book. And then at the end of each chapter, I use journaling prompts. So there's about eight different journaling prompts for each principle. And that's like, if you got me in the therapy room, these are probably questions or homework assignments I would have you do on your own before you came to session next week. It, it's amazing. So I still do um, social work on the side. I still have do um, some uh community social work and, mm-hmm. and and support work there. And I've actually recommended your book twice oh, for people you. already. Beautiful. And neither of them, one of them identified as having faith and yes. the other one did not. And so that's yes. also what I love about your book is that it is such a gentle way to introduce mm-hmm. faith and spirituality in somebody's recovery and overcoming and, and blooming in the dark, mm-hmm. but it's not aggressive. So this is really um, you do it in such a graceful way mm-hmm. that is very welcoming for so many people. Oh, thank you for saying that. Cause I wrestled with that as a Christian woman who that was so much of my process with relying on God. But I also know there's a lot of people, including my clients who aren't religious and I still wanted them to have the blooming message. Mm-hmm. So as you know, there's a chapter on wrestling with the divine gar- gardener who is God to me, to us. Um, but other than that, it's, it's not a a spiritual religious book. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And another thing that I think is really, I want to pull out from something that you just said, as well as that you wrote a memoir about your journey and then you put it aside and then let the healing process continue. And then you returned back from it and pulled out the pieces that you and the patterns that you were able to share. Um, I've had conversations with people who are who said, I don't know, who struggle with knowing how much they can share about themselves and Mm -hmm. how, how, how their experience has helped them overcome, but not sure how to share that with people. And I think that example that you just gave is so, so wise. Um, I use the phrase and I didn't come up with this, so I can't Mm -hmm. take credit from, but um, uh, share your scars, not your wounds. Oh, I like that. And it's, it's, that is a great example of how you are able to process the pain and go through the healing process and pull out the lessons learned and the patterns that you saw so that you can help others. So thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. Yes, that it was tricky. And I have to say when the book came out, it was September of 2020. I had probably one or two months where I felt so exposed, mm-hmm. you know, as a therapist or, you know, people in ministry, we don't share our part and that's on purpose because we want to be that blank slate so that we're just giving space to our clients. And now suddenly a lot of my story was out there. My struggles were out there. Like I was authentic in there and clients you who are, right? you are very clients. vulnerable in this book for sure. Yeah, And I had some clients that were still with me that had gone through that time. So they didn't even know I had been going through this. And so it was a, a weird place of, you know, the psychologist sort of unveils her life um, to clients or even to future clients. But I also knew that the power of this book was in my vulnerability and in my authenticity that, yes, part of what you get is the sort of expert hat on. I know the research. I'm going to give you the empirically based tools. 
But what you really get is someone who gets it. Like you needed to know, I get it. <laughs> I've been there. I spent my time on the floor in the fetal position, you know, and I think that that is as important, if not more important than all the empirically based tools I provide. Hmm. I want people to hear that, that your skills as being empathetic and compassionate and your experience and the, and the scars that you have are valuable, mm-hmm. uh, incredibly valuable to help people overcome. Oftentimes we minimize those things as, yes. as, as, you know, informal caregivers or friends or small group leaders or a prayer team member. We, we, we think that, oh, they need a professional. And well, in some mm-hmm. cases they do. Yeah. So often the yeah. value of that you that you can bring is is really remarkable. Yeah, I totally yeah. agree. Mm-hmm. Now we're not going to go through all twelve principles yeah. or anything. There's we don't have enough time for that. But I would love sure. for you to share. You you talk about some some principles or some practices. You said if we were in your counseling session, these are some of the homework um, suggestions that you would have. So what are what are just a hand, couple, maybe two or three uh, best practice methods that you encourage people? Now I definitely want to identify as one of those as journaling, and why is that so valuable? Yes. So to answer that question, there's at least 30 years of great research on journaling and how powerful it is for our mental health, for our physical health. And so that was definitely a tool I wanted to use throughout all 12 principles. So that's why I picked journaling. And then as for principles, maybe I'll share the first three to help people get started. Um, the first one is setting an intention to bloom. So when I talked to, you know, telling my family and friends, putting up those sticky notes that I was going to bloom in the dark, I created a vision for myself of who I was going to be when I was fully bloomed. Now I was nowhere close, (laughs) started to bloom, but I had this picture of who I was going to be at the end. And that was like, the Bible says that anchor for our hope that felt like this anchor that I put pitched way out into the future that when those really dark moments where I couldn't see anywhere ahead of me was still aligned to the future to where I wanted to go. So that's so important that we start there, set that intention to bloom. The next one, and this is really hard one. You might spend a lot of time here, but it's grieving before growing. That is so good. Yes. And I think it's so important. You probably heard the term toxic positivity in our culture, you know, or like put on a happy face. And, and I really want to make sure that this book was not part of that culture, that this was not just, oh, you're going through a bad time. Bloom. (laughs) That's not not how it works. I wish that's how it works. I spent a long time in chapter two, which is grieving before growing and we cannot move forward until we feel our feelings, all of it, because if we don't feel it, we're going to store it. And I think it's one of the reasons why I've really been able to get to the end of this process without resentment. I don't hate my ex-husband. I'm actually grateful for the divorce at this point. I'm so thankful for another chance at love. And I know God was able to keep my heart really clean because I was willing to do the really hard grief work as it happened. Um, and then the last one, you know, that I'll share now is to get started is to reach out for support and to assemble your support team. And I, I tell people, don't try to get through the dark alone. The dark can be a really scary, lonely place. And so reach out for that support, whether it's a therapist, your family, friends, you know, other night bloomers in the book, I give a, an appendix of how you can start a, a night blooming group for the people that are going through this. But I think it's so important that you have that network of support. 
That's awesome. I, I can't underestimate or under um, communicate, underestimate, that's not the right, but I can't <laughs> under communicate mm. how practical and valuable this book is. Not only is it your journey and your vulnerability, and so you hear someone's life experience and you get hope that you can too, but for those who are in ministry, whether you're a care pastor or you're a care director or you're a small groups leader, if you have people who are struggling, this book is an incredible resource that walks people through the process. It's like having a psychologist in your Aww. pocket. <laughs> and uh, and so it's really, really helpful. Are you able to uh, frame or, or share a little bit on how maybe a pastor or a lay minister are able to use this book? Yes. So I wrote this book, not just for people that were in the dark, but people who were supporting people who were going through the dark. And so that might be pastors and clergy and therapists and just family and friends is a lot of the times you don't know what to say. You know, you see someone you love or you care about and they're suffering and you just don't have the words. And so I wrote this book to help people who are in those positions to have the words and maybe it's just recommending the book, or maybe it's going through the chapters with them. Maybe it's, you know, going through some of the journaling exercises and using those as discussion prompts. But this is definitely also for people supporting people in the dark. Hmm. It really is. I think that's a really great idea. It's a really great idea that people can use this as the homework. Like you can be the supporter. You don't mm -hmm. have to do the therapy with people. That's, you know, outside your skill set, perhaps. But yep. you can be a supporter as someone goes through this process, the cheerleader that comes alongside. So being able to say, hey, here is a resource. Follow these prompts and go through this book. I am here to walk with you yes. is extremely valuable, is extremely yes. valuable. For sure. I was actually asked by uh, a corporation, I won't name them here, but this year they asked me to once a month offer a blooming group for them. So for one, there's 12 principles. So 12 months of the year, every, every month we're doing different principle. And I go in and I facilitate these, a large group and also breakout sessions. So I give a little review. Here's the principle of the month. And then I have them go in these breakout groups and they meet with peers and they talk about, you know, what did they learn about this particular principle? How did they apply it to their life? How are they blooming, you know, even a little bit in the last month? And such great feedback from that. So I could imagine therapists and clergy and, and other people in the caring profession just creating groups. And you don't have to be the expert in this. You could literally just be the facilitator. Yeah. Yeah. It's really that helpful for sure. This is pretty cool. Where can we find this book? Where can we access uh, more information about you, the book, and maybe the resources that you have? Sure. So the book is anywhere really books are sold online. Um, and I have a website, which is www.drmichellepierce.com. Uh, Pierce is P-E-A-R-C-E. Uh, so that would be one place. And then I have an Instagram account. I can't say I'm super active there, but I do have resources on there. And that's at Bloom with Dr. Michelle. Awesome. And we'll link all of those in the show notes for sure. Wonderful. So people can Thank easily you. find them. So I have one last question. If you could go back and write yourself, uh, uh, your younger self, an email or leave a voicemail, what would you tell your younger self now that you have gone through this experience? Oh, goodness. That's, that's such a beautiful idea. Probably two things. First one, and I mentioned earlier, nothing's ever wasted. Mm. So if it's not what you wanted, it's not what you planned. It looks like a setback. Somehow it is all part of a, div a glorious divine plan for my good and for his glory. 
So that would be one thing I would encourage myself with. And the other thing is God is so good that he doesn't just stop at healing. He takes us all the way to redemption. That's what I call blooming. This becoming more than we were before the adversity, not in spite of the adversity, but literally because of that adversity. To me, that's triumph. And so I'd want to tell my younger self that this is why we can trust God when we're in the dark and difficult times, because he's got something even more beautiful for us up ahead. Thanks for listening. I encourage you to put what you've heard into action today. How are you going to be intentional about building a culture of care for both yourself and for others in your church? If what you've heard today was helpful, I would really love it if you could write a review. This will actually help others find the podcast more easily. And if you want to be reminded when a new episode goes live, click that plus button or the follow and you'll be notified. Thanks for listening. Take care.